can turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock, to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. And so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and he closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Amen. Man, what a great passage. This is a passage that I preach. Uh, I always, uh, well, I don't preach. I just, I get to share it at every wedding that I do. And in fact, I never have time to preach it in a wedding setting. So um, I'm always worried that people are going to take what they want out of it and maybe misconstrue it and maybe misunderstand it. And so to have the time this morning to be able to unpack it uh, is a real blessing and privilege. Uh, the downside is that I have like a 45-minute sermon and about 25 minutes to deliver it. So, um, so I'm going to do something actually, uh, uh, there's three points. Um, number one, the biblical, we're going to look at the biblical relationship between man and woman. Uh, the second thing we're going to look at is our common need for meaningful relationships that every human being has. And then the third thing is God's provision for our needs. And, um, and, and uh, man, I, I, I want to approach this first topic, the biblical relationship between a man and woman. I'm, uh, I'm reminded of um, the, the founders of our country, we just celebrated the 4th of July, right? And, uh, and, and they started, they said, uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, right? And um, uh, after visiting the African American History Museum uh, several weeks ago and going down and seeing that proclaimed and, and recognizing the irony that, that we were saying that when we had not yet as a nation been released from the shackles of slavery and, uh, and, and uh, th there was some irony there, right? That there was, there, was, there was something that was professed that was not yet being lived out in reality in our nation. And, uh, and so my hope is as we look at the, the idea of, of the biblical relationship between man and woman, I just want to point you to some truths that are self-evident this morning, right? I want to point you to some things that the Bible says um, that, that are common sense and, and that that, that our experience shows us to be true, um, and I want to do that um, in a direct way as possible because I, I, I really think there's some powerful things in these second and third points that I want to have time to share with you this morning. And so uh, it begins with this statement from God. He said, it's not good that man should be alone, and so, um, so I will make him a helper that is fit for him. 
And, uh, and so in, in, a, in a very superficial reading, we could look at this and think um, uh, in some way that this points to a lower status or a subservient position uh, of, of women under men. And, uh, and uh, to, their, to their shame, some people have used this passage in that sort of way. But, but what I want to show you here is that, that what the, uh, the Bible shows us here is, is not a demeaning thing at all. Um, you know, sometimes uh, I'll be uh, cleaning the car and I'll ask my kids, hey, do you want to be daddy's helper with this project, right? And, uh, and, and essentially it means like, hey, do you want to make my job harder for me, but do it in a relational way where I can fix your mistakes and, uh, and we ultimately will get it done? That's not the kind of helper that they're talking about here. Um, it's, it's a lot more similar to my, uh, my youngest daughter, Evelyn, is going into kindergarten uh, this fall. And, and when you think about it, her kindergarten teacher is going to be her helper, Right. Her kindergarten teacher is going to, to fill up what is, what is necessary in her. She's going to help her to learn the alphabet and, and numbers and, and, and how to do all these amazing things. And so she is her helper, but she is in no way underneath, subservient, uh, below her. And then the same word, this word helper is the, the, the word that's used for the Holy Spirit so many times in Scripture where, where Jesus says, I will send the helper uh, to be with you. And so, uh, so whatever you read in this passage, you do not see a hierarchy uh, that exists. In fact, the, the, the words that are used here for this, um, it's, it, it could be translated, one who is like opposite him. Uh, that, that Adam was not complete as he was made, and God said, I want to make one that will complete him. If you think about a really nice car that's sitting in a shop and it's all shined up and the interior is beautiful and everything, but it doesn't have an engine in it, right? And then over here, we've got this beautiful, like, engine that's been just souped up and it's, and it's incredible, but the two of them, disconnected, are far less than their purpose of what they have when they're, when they're together. And so these are the sort of images and pictures that the words create for us here. It's this idea that we embrace here at Riverside. It's, it's a biblical complementarity. Uh, a complementarian relationship. It says what the Bible says, that men and women are both created in, in, the, in the image of God, that they were equal in worth and standing and value before God, and that they are distinct in their roles and their relationships in the way that they're created. And doesn't common sense show us this, right? Like when we, uh, we recognize that there are differences between men and women, um, I often use this example, and uh, probably at the, at the risk of overdoing it, right? But, uh, but as a man, I cannot bear a child. I, I don't have the capacity. I don't have the ability. I don't have the willpower, probably. <laughs> I probably would not make it through. They'd have to knock me out, right? But, but, but physically, I'm unable to bear a child. It's, it's evident in nature, in the way that God created us, that there is a distinction between men and women. They are created equally in his image, but unique, distinct, and complementary, that, that, that men and women are meant to come together uh, as the foundational uh, building block of every society. <laughs> every society, whether it recognizes God or not, is built upon a man and a woman coming together in relationship, and that's how society is formed and grows. That's, uh, that's, so we look around. We hold these truths to be self-evident, right? Every person that's in here today is here because of a union of a man and a woman, it might not have been in God's perfectly designed uh, way of, uh, of a married relationship that is, is from the time of marriage until death, but, but in some form of that, we've all come to being. And so, um, so we hold these truths to be self-evident, that, that, that this is what's, what's true about the way that God has made us. And uh, it's interesting to look at that we recognize that humanity 
uh, mankind was the, was the pinnacle of God's creation. He made, he made the earth, he made light and dark. We went through it the other week in creation story, right? He went through, he made the vegetation, he made the sun and the moon and the stars, he made the birds and he made the fish and he made the animals and last, he made Adam. But he wasn't quite done, right? He looked at Adam and he said, it's not, not quite. And so he took the rib and he formed Eve and he said, now, now it is very good. Now, now it is, is completed. And so in, in many ways, Eve was the pinnacle of God's creation. Um, and this is not Eve worship either, right? This is, not, this, is not, this is understanding that God made them as a pair. Um, and that was his, his perfect plan. Um, Matthew Henry, the commentator, uh, says it this way related to Eve being made out of Adam's rib. He says, not made out of his head to top him, not out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. I think it's a poetic way of expressing what we see to be true here. This passage also shows us in in this understanding of men and women that that there is... um, there's an elevated status of man, not only being the final part of God's creation, but also being above all other parts of creation. He sets Adam over the, the animals to name them, and so in so doing, he puts them in authority over them. And so, um, so we recognize that human life has a distinct and special value. The creation has value, that we're called to be stewards of our planet. We're, we're called to be stewards of, of the, uh, the, the animal kingdom and the things that are around. I um, uh, they were doing landscaping around our house this week, and they, they scared out this garter snake, and he's crawling across the yard, and, and, and part of me wanted to kill him, but part of me felt bad about it, <laughs> so I ended up taking a shovel and just kind of ushering him over into the bushes, and, and I felt a little bit like a steward, but then I also know that Dave's going to be preaching about the, the snake crusher and the heel, right? So there's, uh, I was conflicted in, in what I had going on there, but, but, but we're called to care for our planet, but not at the expense of human beings, that human beings are, are elevated at a level above it, and all human beings have worth and value. And that's why, regardless of, of, of the, the politics involved with it, and we recognize that, that everything today is political and there's big, messy things, but when we see, see children like alone and isolated at the border, everybody kind of says, hey, something's broken here. We've got to fix this. Somehow, we have different ideas about how to fix it. We have different ways about what we want to do, but, but we recognize that, that those children have value and they need to be t- cared for and protected, right? Um, and so there's equal value, and, and it doesn't matter about race, it doesn't matter about gender, it doesn't matter about orientation, any of those sort of things that everyone has value. They are people to be loved. And the more that we, that we look at people and we try and, and judge and isolate them, one commentator said this really well. Here's what he said. He said, he said all of us, he said it so well, I'm going to read it to you so I don't, I don't mess it up, right? He said, the divine image is not seen without distortion in any of us. The divine image of God is not seen without distortion in any of us. None of us are a perfect image of God. Jesus was the only one who who did that. And while God's remaking us and he's reforming us and he's shaping us into his image and likeness, we still are in process. We have a way to go. And so, so for one of us who is a distorted image of the creator to look at another distorted image of the creator and say, you are broken and I am whole, is just, is just wrong. It's, it misses the mark, right? The, the analogy that's often used is uh, that Christianity is, is a blind beggar telling another blind beggar where to find food. And that's, that's the idea, right? That when we do the gospel right, we say, hey, listen, I'm broken. I'm, uh, sin has stained and marred my image of the creator, 
But through Jesus, I've found a way to be restored and brought back to him. And I, and I know that you struggle with the same things. And I'd love to show you what it's like to walk with Jesus and how he can heal the things that are broken in you the way that he's healed the things that are broken in me. Man, if, if the Christian message is presented that way, it's going to be a lot more easily received. It's going to be a lot more effective. It's going to be a lot more beautiful to the ears of those that hear it. And so, so we recognize this truth that we are embodied persons. It's very clear in this passage that he made a man and he made a woman. And, and he had a binary nature to his design that we are each born male or female. And so this is a huge headline topic in, in our news today. And it's a topic of discussion and ethics. And, and what is gender? Is gender a choice? Is gender a scale? What is gender? Well, biblically, uh, it's, it's evident that, that we are born as men and women. And God is perfect in his creation design. He made you exactly the way that he intended to make you. And that you're not flawed in the, the, the gender identity that God has assigned to you. Um, but when we embrace uh, this, this distortion of reality to say that gender is, is a choice, that I get to choose what I want, um, in many ways it's turning our back on the creator who made us. And so we can communicate this in a loving way. Um, we can communicate truth and love. If any of you are parents, you know that that's the challenge all the time. How do I tell my kids what's true? <laughs> how do I hold them to account? How do, I, how do I teach them and grow them? Love is not just saying like, hey, whatever you want, whatever you want to do. You want to stay up till midnight? You want to eat ice cream all night? You want to, you know, yeah, just go ahead. You'll be fine. You want to play with the snake out in the grass? That's fine. <laughs> like, go for it, right? Right? Love is, love is helping people to see truth. And, uh, but doing it in a way that they can receive it, doing it in a way that, that, that encourages and builds them up. And so, so as Christians, that's the great challenge for us today is to say, how do, how do we do this? How do we speak the truth in love? And, uh, and if, that's, if that's the unique issue, um, it, it's probably better not to start right there, right? It's probably better to start with Jesus. <laughs> Let's start with Jesus. Let's start with who he is. Let's start with what he's done. Let's start with the greatness that, uh, that exists in him, and then let's that, let that resonate out into all the areas of our life. And so I would, I would just ask you this this morning. Do your views that, that you hold, do they align with what, what the Bible says? Do they align with the truth of Scripture? Do they align with... Uh, with, with what, is, what is evident in Genesis? And are you, are you living it and are you speaking it in a loving and caring and understanding way that draws people closer to a relationship with Jesus? The second thing I want to look at here, and, 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 um, and, and I think this is important because, um, man, this, this passage is, is, shows the, the beauty and, uh, and the prototype of what marriage is meant to be, right? Two people that are perfectly made for one another coming together uh, in, in a lifetime union uh, that honors and glorifies God and fulfills each other. And so it is a beautiful thing. And if, and if, you, are, if you are married, if you desire to be married, it's a great place to look for that. But, uh, but there are many people here in the church, there are many people uh, that, that um, are in a, in, 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 they're single, either in a season of signal, singleness and in, they feel that they've been called to singleness uh, maybe they've experienced divorce, or maybe they've uh, been widowed. Uh, the, the, there's all a range of people that can come to this passage and still see God's beautiful truth. And so um, I don't want anybody to look at this and say, well, that's just a marriage passage. I'll check back in when they come back to something that's relevant to me, right? That this is relevant to all of us. And the thing that's irrelevant is this, that, that God looks at it, and this was really fascinating to me. He looks at it and he says, it's not good that man is alone. Now think about this. Uh, this is the God who said, let there be light. This is the God who said, let there be a sun and a moon and stars. 
he, he created things out of his mouth. And so when God says it's not good that man should be alone, is he making an observation about his creation? Or is he speaking a truth that he's placing into us, right? And, and perhaps it's a little bit of both. The Bible doesn't tell us, but it's an interesting thing to ponder. And I think that God created us as communal beings. He created us for relationship. And we live in a day and age where we're, we're more and more uh, connected through, through social media, through, through, through different things, and yet we're more and more isolated. And people feel more and more lonely and alone, even though we're more interconnected than we've ever been before. And, um, and so some people would ask, hey, like, why do I have to go to church? Why, I can listen to world-class preachers on the internet. I can listen to worship music in my car. Uh, what, what, why do I have to go to church? The, the, the answer is that it's not good for man to be alone, that we were created to do life in community with one another, that God implanted that. He spoke that existence into us, and then he fulfilled the need that he created in us. Adam had a, a great, amazing relationship with God. He spoke with God. God told him what to do. He listened to God. He, he, he followed God, and yet it wasn't, uh, that, that wasn't sufficient. He, he needed human relationship, and we all need human relationship. Um, and one of the ways that we know this, one of the ways that we know that it's not only through marriage that this is possible is if we look at the life of Jesus, right? Jesus lived the perfect sinless life, that he is our ideal. And Jesus was never married. Jesus didn't have a romantic relationship, but, but he had deep personal relationships. He had a deep relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit, but he also, uh, we're told in Scripture that he was, he was very close friends with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, three siblings that, that also appear to be unmarried in Scripture. And, and he had this, this deep, personal, loving relationship with them. He had, a, he had a deep relationship with the 12 disciples who, who went with him, and particularly the, the three, Peter, James, and John. John describes himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. And so Jesus found loving, fulfilling, purposeful, joyful relationship with other human beings, even though he wasn't in the context of a married relationship. And the same thing is available for each one of us. Whatever station, whatever season you find yourself in life, uh, that, that you can find fulfillment in a relationship with God and a relationship with others. But, but, but relationships are hard work, amen? <laughs> They're difficult. They, they take exposure. They, they take an extension of yourself. And, and what I want us to see is that the church should actually be the place where each person can find those relationships. Because if God says that it's not good that man should be alone and it's part of his kingdom that we would live in community, and if the church is the place where the kingdom is coming into existence— then the church should be a place where people can come and find fulfillment for those human relationships that they desire. And uh, I, I don't have all the answers for this. I feel like God keeps uh, hammering this nail with me, right, <laughs> where, um, uh, where, where fellowship is important, that relationships are important. Um, and I see um, some clues to that in the last line of this passage, right? In, in verse 25, it says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, don't worry, I'm not proposing a nudist colony or anything weird, right? But, but here's what I was thinking about. Adam and Eve were naked and they were not ashamed. They had a perfect relationship with one another. They had this perfect interpersonal relationship. And so if we want to have that, we need to capture a little bit of what they had. And so why is it that when we are naked, we are ashamed? Why do we feel shame and discomfort when we are naked? And so let, I just want to share a couple of thoughts on that 
Uh, number one, we feel vulnerable, right? We feel vulnerable, and so we need to clothe ourselves so we don't feel vulnerable. And so if the church is going to fulfill what God wants us to be, we need to be a place where people can come in and they can feel safe to be vulnerable. They can feel like they can be vulnerable and that they're not going to be hurt. And, and I'll be honest with you, this setting is not a great spot for that, right? If I was to hand off the mic, hey, does anybody have anything they want to confess this morning, right? Um, I've, I've been in churches where that happens. It can be very uncomfortable. It can be really beautiful, um, but, uh, but it's a challenging environment to do that. And so that's why we encourage you continually, hey, join a ministry team. Join a, join a community group. Come out to my thing on Tuesday night uh, and hang out for a couple hours. Get into, uh, make some friends in the church and, and start doing some discipleship. Do life with people. We, we need to get together in these smaller, more intimate settings where there is appropriate space for vulnerability, where we can, can share honestly and openly with other people and not have them judge us and not have them criticize us, but have them listen and have them speak the gospel into our situation where we can't see it. Sometimes we're so close that we can't see it, and you need somebody in your life who can say, like, hey, I hear what you're saying, and I understand your emotions, and I understand what you're feeling, but can, can I share with you what I think the Bible says about what you're going through? Can, can I share with you how Jesus' resurrection makes a difference in the situation that you're dealing with? Can I just pray for you? I don't have the answers, but can I just join you and put my arm around you and pray for you and ask God to, to make a difference? That, that's the kind of relationships we need to have. We feel ashamed when we're naked because we feel judged. How, how can the church be a place where people don't feel judged? Uh, I was listening to the sports radio this week, and they were talking about, you know, Fourth of July week, and they're like, hey, who, who would you invite to your, to your barbecue? Any of you guys listening on that day? They're talking about this, right? Like, who would you invite? And they're like, oh, man, I'd love to have Charles Barkley, or I'd love to have, you know, this guy or that guy or whatever. He'd be, you know, he'd be, he's, he's a walking party. That would be awesome. And they're like, hey, what about Carson Wentz? Would you guys want to have Carson Wentz come to your barbecue? And they're like, eh. Like, I don't know, he'd probably try and bring his own deer and, like, hack up the venison and throw it on the grill. Um, but finally, one of the guys was honest, and he was like, he's like, yeah, he's like, I just don't know, man. He's like, what if I just got one too many beers in me, and I feel like he might be judging me, right? Because they know that he's a Christian, that he know that he has strong moral values, and so their uh, assumption is that he would judge them in that situation. Um, that's what the world thinks about Christians. They think that we walk around judging everyone, Right? And so if we want to transform that into the reality of what Jesus wants us to be, um, we need to be a place where people aren't judged, where we begin by judging ourselves most critically, right? Like, hey, I'm trying to remove the sin from my own life, and I'd like to walk with you, and I'd like to help you see what Jesus is trying to do in your life, but hey, I don't place any judgment, right? <laughs> I don't stand as the final judge. God is your judge. And, and to judge, in a lot of ways, is to place a final verdict on someone. You are bad. You are broken. You are a sinner. But what the gospel shows us over and over again is that we are in process, that no one's final judgment has arrived while they still have breath in their body. You are someone with potential. <laughs> the brokenness in your life is, is potential for you to experience the gospel of Jesus transform you and bring you healing in a way that you could never imagine. The ways that you're searching for fulfillment and, and drugs and alcohol and, and, and wrong relationships, all those things, uh, you're never going to find it there. But if you turn to Jesus, you're going to find that filled up, holy and complete. He, he's going to change you, right? And so, so we, so we want to be a church where people aren't judged. Uh, we feel imperfect. That's why we, don't, we feel ashamed when we're naked, right? How can the church help each person to see their own unique value, and, and, and we don't want to cheapen it by saying, like, hey, participation trophy for everyone. Everyone who comes through the door is special. You all, here's your trophy. You're amazing, right? I mean, you are all amazing, I, I, but it's much more 
powerful when somebody really gets to know you and says, hey, yeah, you know what, hey, you got some challenges, right? If I want to be an NBA player, I'm never going to make it. <laughs> I'm not tall enough. I'm too old. I got bad knees. <laughs> I can't dribble. I can't shoot. So for somebody to say, like, man, you're going to be a great NBA player, that, that, would, that, would, that would fall short, right? But if somebody was like, hey, you know what, NBA is not for you. But, but I think you might be able to preach, <laughs> right? Let's recognize what's in each person. Let's take the time to get to know them enough to say, like, hey, here's what I see and I value in you. You're a great encourager. Man, you, you, I, I've seen you go through some difficult things, and you just have a smile on your face, and you have perspective. Uh, you're, you show incredible empathy. You, you're, you're so generous. You, you love people through accident. Let's find ways to encourage one another and build each other up on the, on the real God-given qualities that we all have and, and believe that every single person that walks through that door has unique talents and skills and abilities that God has given them that maybe they don't even know about. But as a church, we can help them uncover. The last thing is that we feel exposed. How can we help people appreciate and love themselves exactly the way God had created them? We feel shame when we're naked because we don't like the way that we are. But God ultimately wants us to be completely satisfied in the person that he has created us to be, right? And even, even our weaknesses become opportunities to lean into his strength. Our weaknesses become opportunities to learn how great he is. And so, so, so there's, there's fulfillment even in that. Man, how, I just want to encourage you to think about how can, how, can, how can we be this way as a church? How can you contribute to us being a church where that is the reality? And it might begin just by taking the risk of, of trying to get into some relationships. Show up at a group, volunteer for a team, walk up to somebody you don't know after church and just try and get in a conversation. It might go terrible, <laughs> right? Uh, you don't know, but, but you might have three that go terrible and then you might have one that leads to the best friend for the rest of your life. And so if you don't break some eggs, you're not going to make an omelet. I, don't, I didn't think about that analogy ahead of time, so <laughs> disclaimer. The third thing is God's provision for our need. Man, I love this, and I wish I had another 30 minutes to preach on it, but I don't. God always knows our needs even before we do. He knew that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. But he didn't just drop Eve right into his lap, right? He said, uh, he said, hey, Adam, I want you to look at all the animals. I want to bring them for you. I want you to name them. And Adam's naming them, and he's looking at them, and he's admiring their incredible qualities and everything, but, but it's going through, and he's like, man, there's, there's not a partner for me. There's not a perfect pair for me. God created him with the need. He helped him to see the need so that when God provided it, then we look at Adam's response. At last, this is bone of my bones. This is what I've been looking for. If he wouldn't have gone on the journey looking for it, he wouldn't have been so excited when he found it. And so maybe you're in a season in your life where God has you looking. Maybe God is, is stripping things away. Maybe God has you searching because he wants you to be so excited when you finally find what he's going to provide for you. Maybe he wants you to realize that, that you're only going to find fulfillment if God does what only he can do. Adam couldn't fulfill the need that he had. He needed Eve but he couldn't create Eve. <laughs> he couldn't find Eve. Ultimately, he had to, to go to sleep and let God do what only God could do and trust that he would do it even better than, than Adam could have if he had done it himself. Second thing I want you to see here is that, uh, about this rib, right? <laughs> Sometimes God takes things away from us, but we can trust that he will give us something far greater in return. He took his rib. Adam's like, I need that rib, man. Don't take my rib. What? This is weird. You're, you're cutting me open. You're taking this out, right? 
And we do this in our life, right? Like, no, God, don't take that away. Don't take that away. I, I need that. But he tells us, hey, if I don't take that away, I can't give you the thing that's infinitely better that I want to give you in its place. Sometimes we cling and we hold on to things. And a rib's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with a rib. They protect your organs. They, they, they give you structure, right? Ribs aren't bad. But God said, hey, I need to take a lesser thing away to give you a greater thing. Maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe, maybe you feel like God's taking things. Maybe not just one thing. Maybe he's taking a lot of things out of your life. Maybe he's pulling things away. Do you trust him to be your provider? Do you trust that if he's taking something you thought you needed away, that he's going to give you something far better to replace it? Because that's what we see him do here. That's his nature. That's his character. That's, that's how God functions. Third, we should, we should trust God's provision the way that Adam did. I mentioned this already. Adam did the job that God laid out for him. He didn't seem unhappy. He didn't seem discontent. He celebrated and, 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 and named the animals, and he loved the things that was in them. He did what God laid out before him, ultimately trusting God to do what only God can do. Maybe God's laid, you, laid out a task before you. Maybe he just wants you to, to learn how to draw close to him. Maybe he wants you to learn how to, to consistently read your Bible. Maybe he wants you to push into community here in the church. There's something out here that you want, but he says, hey, I, I, I'm going to do that in the right time and season, but right now here's what I want you to do. Do what God lays out before you, and in his right time, you can trust that he will provide exactly what you need. No more, no less. The final thing I want you to see here is that there are reflections of Jesus all over this passage. It's just saturated in Jesus, right? That, 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 that man had a relationship with God, the Spirit, but, but he needed a flesh relationship as well. We have this need for the vertical relationship with God and the, and the horizontal relationship with man. And in Jesus, that need for the vertical relationship and the horizontal relationship is perfectly met. In Jesus, who is fully God, and fully man. That Jesus, Jesus meets not only our need for a relationship with our creator, but also our need for a relationship with humans, with other, with other men, with other women. It's found perfectly in Jesus. And, and um, the other thing that's amazing in here, Matthew Henry, the commentator, again, he, he points this out, and I think this is beautiful. I'm going to read you his quote. He says, in this, as in many other things, Adam was a figure of him that was to come. For out of the side of Christ, the second Adam, his spouse, the church, was formed. When he slept the sleep, the deep sleep of death upon the cross, in order to which his side was opened, and there came out blood and water, blood to purchase his church, and water to purify it to himself. In the same way that God opened up Adam and took out the rib and formed his spouse Eve, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he was pierced for us. And we're told that blood and water flowed out, and out of that came the church. The church was formed out of Jesus' death on the cross. And when Jesus rose from the grave, he came looking for, for each one of you that have come to a relationship with him. And, and in the same way that, that Adam said, at last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, he looks at you and he says, at last, you are, you are the one that I, that I want to be in relationship with. You, we're now family. We now have the sort of relationship that, that, that you desire and that I desire for you, that Jesus loves you 
even far more deeply than Adam loved Eve when he first saw her. He died on the cross so that you could be in a right relationship with him.